This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and you are listening to the Luther Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is Luther's first sermon for Christmas concerning the history of Christ's birth in Bethlehem. The sermon is from the House Postal, which was published in Columbus, Ohio in 1884 and is in the public domain. The sermon text is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. This festival, the birth of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, is instituted among Christians especially that we may preach this history and learn it well, that it may be kept in remembrance by the young and common people, that it may be impressed upon their hearts, and that they may rightly learn to know their Savior. For although we tell it yearly, we yet cannot sufficiently preach nor learn it. Therefore we will divide the gospel lesson into two parts. First, we will in the most simple manner relate the history as it took place. Then, secondly, hear how the dear angels preached and sing about it. The first point in the history is this, that Christ was born just at the time when the Jews and their property were for the first time taxed upon Emperor Augustus. At that time already our dear Lord Jesus began to reign in the world, though secretly, and the great Emperor Augustus with his empire must serve him, although unwittingly, and by his command furnished the occasion for the Virgin Mary with her espoused husband to go to Bethlehem, and there, as the prophets had written, give birth to the Savior of our world. Otherwise, if this had not been brought about by the emperor's command, Joseph and Mary would doubtless have remained at home. But since Christ is to be born at Bethlehem, the emperor must furnish the occasion thereto and thus serve the Lord Jesus at his birth, although neither the emperor nor the world knew anything about it. For the world is so wicked and unfaithful that she would otherwise rather have hindered than furthered it. But God so conducts his government that often she must do unwittingly what no one could induce her to do knowingly. Now it was very inconvenient and hard for this virgin so near the time of her delivery that just at this time in the midst of winter she had to undertake this long journey to a strange place where she was not acquainted and knew no certain place to which she could go 
and that these two people were very poor, we know from this, that Joseph could not spare her or leave her at home with his or her friends or otherwise provide for her until she should bring forth the child, but because he does not know where to leave her nor anyone to whom to commend her, she must go with him on this long journey for from Galilee to Bethlehem in the land of Judea is as far, if not further, than with us from Saxony to France, and both take their little possessions with them. Perhaps Joseph also took an ass along for her, for they had to make arrangements now to settle down and live at Bethlehem, where they belonged on account of their lineage, which would also have been more convenient for them if they could have found a place. For hitherto, on account of their poverty, and because King Herod had persecuted the whole race of David and murdered many of them, this poor virgin and her parents had to live as outcasts back in the borders of the Jewish land at Nazareth. When they now get to Bethlehem, and the time has arrived that she should bring forth, everything is unprepared. For she finds no one among them all who wants to know her, and among so many women no hostess who would give her a chamber or other place in the house for herself and was willing to be with her at this time, when one woman is generally willing to help another all she can, but must, together with her Joseph, stay in an open stable where the common cattle of poor people are put. Here she finds no preparation and has no help or service from anyone at this birth. And after the birth there is again no one who, for the young child's sake, would take her in and afford her a better place, even in a corner, or would offer her even the smallest service, except that Joseph perhaps spoke to a poor pious maidservant who may have occasionally made a fire for her or brought her a little water, but had mostly to wait on her himself. And for her as mother this is the hardest, that this young child of whom by faith she knows that he is the Son of God and by descent the true Lord and King of the Jewish people— does not among his own people and in his own fatherland and in his father David's own city meet even so much favor that he might have a borrowed cradle or a little bed aside from his mother's bosom and the manger where he is wrapped in such poor swaddling clothes as she could procure. And to this place the angels direct the shepherd where no one would look for the child of the poorest, most wretched woman of the country. Here in the cold she had to warm the child, perhaps at a little fire of coals, bathe it, and when it would sleep and she could not hold it in her arms or fold it to her bosom, she had to lay it on a bundle of hay and cover it with her veil or cloak or whatever she may have had. This is, in brief, the history which no doubt the evangelist wished thus to present to us, who are generally so cold that our hearts might, if possible, be warmed a little by contemplating the humble birth of Christ into the world. Bethlehem would indeed have been worthy to be sunken then to the depth of hell, since she did not even honor her Savior as so much as to lend him the most humble cradle and pillow. His cradle is the first place the bosom of his dear mother, afterward the manger. Thus this child is rocked to sleep. This poor woman in childbed, if she would not take cold, may cover herself with her cloak or whatever else she may have had with her. For here there is no one who would lend child or mother anything, serve them, or help them in the least. For shame, thou base Bethlehem, who dost show thyself so hard and unmerciful toward thy Savior, that thou dost not serve him even in the smallest matter. Thou hadst deserved even more than Sodom, that fire and brimstone should have come down from heaven and utterly destroyed thee. For although the Virgin Mary had been a beggar, or, if we may venture even to say it, a dishonest woman who did not regard her honor, yet in such a time of need any one should have been willing to serve her, and should not have let the little child lie among the cattle. Nay, but nothing of the kind takes place. This little child must be wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, in order that it may have somewhere to stay and have its honors on earth." 
Thus this Lord was received on earth where other gourmandize make a great show with beautiful clothes, grand houses, etc. So much concerning the first part of the history, which is written for us that we might learn to take heart this picture, how our dear Lord Jesus was born on earth in such poverty, and that we might never forget it, especially since we learn from the sermon of the angels that it was for our good. For here we see the great and wonderful work of God, that for the sake of the poor, wretched humanity, he lets his only begotten Son take upon him human nature and become true man, and as such endure all weakness and misery, nay, take upon himself even our sins, though without sin in himself, and become a sacrifice for them, in order that we might learn to thank and praise God for this great benefit, that we poor, wretched, nay, even condemned men today attain to such great honor of becoming one flesh and blood with the Son of God. For the very eternal Son of the eternal Father, through whom heaven and earth were created out of nothing, he, as we hear, became man, was born into the world like us, except that in him there was never any sin. Therefore we may now boast that God has become our brother, nay, our flesh and blood. This great honor was conferred not upon angels, but upon us men. And although the angels are more glorious creatures than we are, yet God has honored us more highly and come nearer to us than to the angels, since he became not an angel, but man. Now, if we men would properly think of this and heartily believe it, this inexpressible grace and benefit of our Heavenly Father would cause us great joy and impel us to thank God from our hearts to love him and willingly to submit to his will. In the papacy, they used to tell a story. The devil once came to church to Mass, and when in the confession of the Christian faith, which they called the Patrum, they sang the words, Et homo factum est, the Son of God was made man, and the people did not kneel down, but stood, he, the devil, struck one on the mouth, rebuked him, and said, You ruffian, are you not ashamed that you should stand here like a stock and do not fall down for joy? If the Son of God had become our brother like yours, we would not know what to do for joy. I do not think that this is true, for the devil is too decided in his enmity to us and the Lord Jesus. But this is true, that he who conceived this story had the right spirit, as well as understood how great an honor was conferred upon us, in that the Son of God became man, not like Eve nor Adam, who was made of the earth, but he is still more nearly related to us since he was born of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, like other men, except that the Virgin was alone and, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, conceived this blessed fruit without sin and by the Holy Spirit. In other respects, he is like unto us and a natural son of woman. Adam and Eve were not born, but created. God made Adam out of the dust of the earth and the woman out of his rib. How much nearer is Christ to us than Eve to her husband Adam, since he is truly our flesh and blood? Such honor we should highly esteem as well as take to heart that the Son of God became flesh and that there is no difference at all between him and our flesh, only that his flesh is without sin. For he was so conceived of the Holy Ghost and God poured out so richly his Holy Spirit into the soul and body of the Virgin Mary that without any sin she conceived and bore our Lord Jesus. Aside from this, in all other respects, he was like other men. He ate, drank, was hungry, thirsty, cold like other men. Such and similar natural infirmities which have descended upon us by reason of sin, he who was without sin, bore and had like unto us, as St. Paul said, he was made in the likeness of men and found in the fashion of man. Thus the high, eternal, glorious majesty deeply humbled himself, coming down for, for us. 
for he might well have become a man such as he is now in heaven, where he has flesh and blood like unto us, but does not live this poor, weak, infirm life which we live on earth. This he might have done from the beginning, and still it would have been a great humility and a great honor to the human race, but he did not wish to do it in order that he might show how great and sincere a love he has for us, so great that he took upon him our infirm nature in order that he might take away our sin, by which our nature is depraved, and death, which reigns over us through sin, and thus make us like unto his own glorious body, which he now has, so that we can rejoice in this, comfort ourselves, and boast that we have a brother in heaven who is the Son of God himself, whom we may, nay, should approach as our own flesh and blood. For he is a wretched man who does not come unto this Savior, nor permit this joy to come into his heart. This now is the reason why this history is preached every year, that every young heart may, from this image within itself, praise God for it and say, Now, thank God, I am in no danger, for I have a brother, the Son of God, who became such as I am. Why he became such, and what he wished to accomplish thereby, we will hear further on, for it can have been for no other reason than that he would deliver us from sin and eternal death, in which we formerly lay captive. But I am now speaking only of the great and high honor to the whole human race, of which we may truly boast and should rejoice that the Son of God became man. Of such honor all men can boast. But herein Christians have the preference that they shall enjoy this honor to eternity. This we should mark in the first place in this history. Again, this very noble example serves this purpose, since Christ, the Son of God, so deeply humbled himself and bestowed all honor on our poor flesh and the divine majesty before whom the angels tremble, condescended so far and went about as a poor beggar. Up in heaven the angels worship him. Here on earth he serves us and lies down in our miry clay. Since the Son of God has done this, as an offering of praise, honor, and thankfulness to him, we will also be truly humble and according to his word, bear the cross which he lays upon us, suffer all manner of tribulation, and follow him. For what can it harm us, or why should we be ashamed of suffering? Our Lord himself suffered cold, hunger, and sorrow, and all kinds of wretchedness and want, especially, as already said, was his advent and birth into the world characterized by the greatest poverty and want. There was neither a room nor apartment of any kind, neither pillow nor bedclothes, and he had to lie in a manger before the cows and oxen. Now if your dear friend, nay, your brother, the king of heaven and earth and all creatures, lies there in such wretchedness and poverty, shame on you that you would have everything so fine and glorious and suffer nothing. Think who you are. Is it true that you are a poor sinner, and worthy of nothing better than that you should lie upon thorns? Yet whilst your Lord lies on hard straw in a manger, you lie on a soft bed, and still you are discontent and complain of great suffering? But is not this a deplorable thing? We see how humble and poor Jesus is for our sake, and we would be fine fellows, escape free and suffer nothing. Nay, in our pride and impatience we are even angry and complain if we have to suffer a little. But this does not agree well together, that our Lord and Savior is born in such poverty and want for our sake, also dies for us on the cross, and we lazy fellows would always enjoy the greatest ease and peace. No, this will not do. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord, says the Savior. Therefore we should well learn and earnestly consider first what honor was conferred upon us in that Christ the Son of God became man. For it is such an honor 
that if one were an angel, he might wish he were a man, in order that he might boast, My flesh and blood are exalted above all angels. Wherefore, we men ought truly to count ourselves blessed. God grant that we may understand it, take it to heart, and thank him for it. In the second place, we should diligently look upon the example of Christ, what he, who is Lord of all lords, in his first advent to us poor men, did and suffered for our sake. This would induce and impel us from our hearts also willingly to help and serve other people, even though it required great self-denial, and we should on their account have to suffer. To this may God help us by his Holy Spirit, through our dear Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been the Luther Sermon for Christmas Eve, preaching on Luke chapter 10, and you are listening to the Luther Sermon Podcast. For more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast and for more Luther Sermons, please visit the website of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, www.hope-aurora.org.